If you have your Bible, and I pray that you do, turn with me to Paul's letter to Titus. Titus. And you'll find that right after 2 Timothy, right before uh, Philemon in God's Word. And uh, we're going to uh, look at what uh, the Bible has to say for us this morning. And I want, as you're making your way there, I want to echo what's already been said uh, by saying Happy Mother's Day to all of our moms, all of our grandmoms, and I dare say, do we have any great-grandmas here? Any great-grandmas? Oh, oh, Betty Betty didn't want to raise her hand. She's like, yeah, praise the Lord. Uh, We could do better. Great-grandmas. Let's give them a hand. (laughs) Oh, man. Thank you so much uh, for doing that. I do pray that you take time to, as Krista said, uh, if your mother is still living, call her, text her. If she's not near... Uh, and just let her know how much you love and appreciate her. Uh, As I said today, we're going to step away from our series on the uh, seven churches of uh, Revelation, and hopefully that series has been an encouragement to you. But we're going to step away just for a couple of uh, moments this morning and look at what God's Word has to say, uh, really on this very special day of recognition right here in Titus chapter 2 in the Word of God. And so look with me and let's see together. Uh, what God has for us this morning. Beginning in verse number 1 of Titus chapter 2, Paul writing to Titus says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged woman, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed or the idea of being dishonored. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather around your throne this morning to lift up our praises and petitions before your throne of grace and mercy. Certainly we understand that's where we find help in our time of need. And so, Lord, we thank you for the songs that were sung. Lord, we thank you for the testimony that's already been given. Lord, I pray now that you'll bless your holy word as we look at it and we see what you have to say. And, Lord, that we might be mindful to take it and apply it to our very lives in a way that would bring you honor and glory. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in this room, somebody watching that has never trusted Christ as their Savior, I pray that today, through the preaching and teaching of your word and the wooing of the Holy Spirit, God, that you might draw men and women and young people unto yourself where they might find forgiveness of sin and life everlasting through Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness to us. God, we celebrate those who uh, really you have placed in our lives, um, God, as our moms. And so, Lord, we celebrate them today. We thank you for your plan. And God, we'll give you the praise for what you'll do in the next few moments of time. For it's in Jesus' precious name, and for his sake we pray, amen and amen. Well, again, hopefully you're having a good day so far. And uh, I don't want to keep you long because I'm sure everybody's got lunch plans, right? No? Anita says, I don't know what Jim's feeding me for lunch. I have no clue. Jim, you better feed your wife uh, lunch today. Well, let me ask the question to start off. Would you agree or, or at least acknowledge, maybe, maybe you wouldn't agree with me, 
But I would just suggest that the devil is out to destroy your home. Would you, degree, would you agree with that? Let me just tell you, ladies, he does not like the godly woman. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your family. And uh, when we stop and think about it, all types of abuse, all types of immorality continue to run rampant in 2021. Would you agree? I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's, it's sexual immorality or immorality of other forms or fashions. It's out there. And guess what? The world is actually advertising it and wanting us to buy into this ideology. And so we have to be very, very careful. And so uh, I believe that God's Word has a plan. I really do. I believe God's Word has a plan for us to live and to train uh, and ourselves and our families in such a way that, he might bring, that we might bring Him honor and glory. But as even my wife, and it's interesting that she alluded to it, but sometimes we fail to read the directions. Am I right? We fail to read the directions, and she stole my thunder, but men are horrible at reading directions. It doesn't matter whether we're putting together a, a, a tool, a toy, or a table or something. We just we see the parts, and we're like, oh, yeah, I got this. And then invariably, we have pieces left over. We don't know why, why we have pieces left over. It's not as if they sent extra pieces, but we just figure it out, right? And when the tool doesn't work, we scratch our head and say, what happened? And then usually it's our wives that says, well, did you read the directions? Or, or maybe you've been on a trip, and uh, now we have cell phones and GPSs and things like that. All you have to do is type in the destination. And uh, by the way, sometimes those things don't work. Uh, we've had a lot of people try to make deliveries here at the church, and they say, uh, we're down here by uh, Starbucks. I'm like, you're at the wrong church. Uh, keep on coming a little ways. And, and so sometimes even GPS doesn't work. But the reality is that when we read God's instruction manual, it's not only going to inform us, but it's going to instruct us in a way that we can live. And listen, when I live according to God's Word, here's the cool thing. It produces godly results. When I live according to my own thoughts and my own ways, sometimes not so much. Anybody ever had that experience when you thought, hey, I got a better plan than God's plan, and I'm going to give God a break today, and I'm just going to make decisions on my own, and then we wonder what's happening, right? When things start to crumble around us. Uh, men, by the way, this message, although it, the title, don't be fooled, the title says the godly woman, and guys are like, all right, I'm just going to go ahead and go into a slight coma here. Uh, wake me up when it's over. No, guys, there's something here for you too. And so let's not fall asleep on the job because Titus is rem Paul is reminding Titus that the things, he's saying, Titus, here are some things that you need to teach to men, whether they be aged or young. Here's some things that you need to teach to women, whether they be aged or young. Or even he even goes on in this passage to talk about teaching servants. And so there's a lot of information here. Look back with me in the passage and look at verse number 1. Paul tells Titus to teach the things which become sound doctrine. Now what's important for us to understand is that word become. That word become actually reminds us to teach or speak those things that are suitable. Teach those things that are not only suitable, but things that are proper concerning God's word. And in a literal sense, it means that when we do these things, I think I put it up there, when we do these things, we bring beauty to, or we actually beautify the true teachings of God's word. When we teach that which becomes sound doctrine, 
we are actually bringing glory and beauty and honor to the Word of God. And now drop down to verse number 10. I know that we didn't read it, but look at the end of verse number 10. It says that they may adorn the doctrine of God and our Savior in what things? Say that word, all. In all things. Now, ladies, it's, it's Mother's Day. And the title of the message is The Godly Woman. But the word adorn there in the Greek literally comes from the English word. Are you ready for it? Where we get the word cosmetics. It says, if you're going to be a godly woman, if you're going to be a godly woman, you want to be beautiful through and through. I'm not just talking about uh, with hairdos and makeup, but if you want to be really beautiful through and through, the Bible is saying from the inside out that you ought to adorn yourself in the teachings that become sound doctrine. It's the teaching of God's Word. This means, ladies, that you're going to have to put on the foundation of godliness. Now, if I don't make the right motion for foundation or these, these things that I put down, you'll have to forgive me because this is not something I normally do. But ladies, you're going to have to put on the foundation of godliness. You're going to have to put on, is it right here? It goes right here, the blush. You're going to have to put on the blush of purity and innocence, the eyeliner of compassion, the mascara of sincerity and truth, and here's one, the lipstick of a kind tongue. Now, I had trouble with that because I was like, well, I'm putting lipstick on, but guess what? That's where the tongue flows from. So you have to put on the lipstick of a kind tongue if you want to be a godly woman. The question is, do we want to do that? Again, men, you say, well, this is all for women. Guys, I know guys who get all gussied up. I know guys who spend more time getting ready than their wives. Mm. And if you're going to get gussied up, if you're going to get gussied up, sir, young man, if you're going to get gussied up, I just want to encourage you to do it within the confines of God's instruction manual. Seamus, I love the haircut, man. Looking sharp this morning. I saw that from the side. I was like, look at this strack soldier this morning. Looking good this morning. I tell you, you want to get gussied up, do it in the confines of God's Word. But for the sake of this message, which is really intended to encourage our women today, and you ladies are like, I didn't like that, Matt. I didn't like the passage. Because that passage had a lot of things that uh, the Apostle Paul is telling Titus to teach so that these women can teach other women. And I don't like all those things that he's saying to teach. But hopefully it's an encouragement to you because it is not Greg's Word, it's God's Word. And so uh, we may not get a lot of amens this morning, but I want to share a few quick thoughts with you. First of all, I want to share with you the godly woman's obligation. Right away you say, I don't like it. I'm getting up and leaving. He said the word obligation. That means it's a requirement, ladies. That means it's something that you're supposed to do. And notice here in verse 4 and 5, you'll see a number of things. The, the reality, though, is before we get there, every one of us as believers have an obligation. Do you know that? Once you come to faith in Christ, we all have an obligation, as Mark chapter 16, 15 says, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But look at here at verse number 3. Verse 3 and verse 4 says, it begins, it says, the aged woman. Anybody like that phrase? I'm going to stay away from it. When I read it, I was like, man, God, you're trying to set me up in a trap. Like, I got to read this, the aged woman. Uh, I, I, I've been trying to figure out all week 
where do we set the bar as far as aged women? Like, right? Is it, I know I'm going to get in trouble. Is the aged woman take place at 40? No one agrees. Does the aged woman happen at 50 or 60 or 70? I think this is what I came up with. I just figure you're going to know when you know. If you're an aged woman, you know it, right? You get up in the morning and you're like, oh, your body starts to groan and you get up in the morning. You already know you're an aged woman. So listen, you know, like the, uh, like the great theologian of yesteryear used to say, if the shoe fits, wear it, right? Just embrace it, ladies. Don't be afraid of it. It's like, I don't want to be the aged woman. I want to be the younger woman. Well, I got some good news for you. There's some great responsibilities and great character traits of an aged woman who's a godly woman. And so embrace it. If you drop down to verse number 4, the Bible says, aged women, go ahead and figure out. You already know if you're one of them. says you're supposed to teach the younger women. You say, well, that's your job, pastor. No, the Bible says it's your job. That's your obligation. You're to teach the younger women. Listen, I'm supposed to uh, put forth the Word of God to everybody, but on a one-on-one discipleship situation, the aged woman of God is to teach the younger woman so that the younger woman knows and understands how she's supposed to live, not according to Greg's wishes and whims and ways, but according to God's Word and His way. Oh, no amens. The women are not ameners. They're a-womeners. Okay. There's no way around it, ladies. There's no way around it. Paul is telling Titus to teach God's Word. And he says, listen, teach this to everyone. And he says, by the way, ladies, you have a job to do as well. The younger women, by the way, you have a job. Before you get all excited and you think, well, that's good. The aged women can teach the younger women how to live godly. The intimated responsibility for younger women is that you actually open up your ears and listen. That you actually pay attention. When the aged woman, and by the way, if you're a younger woman, I would not uh, encourage you to uh, address an aged woman as an aged woman. Oh, thank you, aged woman of faith, for that wonderful tip that you're giving. Uh, That's not going to go across. And by the way, if you're an aged woman, I don't think it's going to be helpful for you to walk up to a younger woman and say, you young women today don't know what you're doing. You need to live godly and blah, 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 blah. You see, you got to develop a little bit of a relationship before you go in and you start barking out orders to the younger women. That's why I tell the harvesters class when we were meeting uh, in Bible study, and we're going to be doing that very soon again, and I'm so excited to be moving into the sanctuary and open up our Bible studies again. But I told the harvesters before, listen, you need to take time to invest in the lives of the younger people in our church. You need to go up to them and talk to them and build relationships with them so that you can teach and admonish them. And this is what the Bible's saying. It says that the women have an obligation. By the way, I also believe that this could and many times should be applied to uh, when it comes to the spiritual age of a woman. You see, uh, just because you're aged in years, maybe you haven't had a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ very long, so it's very difficult for you to go and teach a younger woman how she should live according to the Bible. Maybe it's a younger woman who has been saved for a long time, who has been walking with the Lord, who's been growing in her walk of faith, that is able to come alongside the more senior saint and say, listen, this is what I learned from Scripture. And maybe it can be a reciprocal relationship 
in that regard as well. By the way, men, this includes you as well. Aged men ought to be busy teaching young men. That's the problem. We look around and we don't see aged men teaching young men how to live. And then we got young men running around making decisions that are void of God. And so, like I said, it might be titled The Godly Woman, but there's enough here for every one of us. But I think God's desire and point is clear. And it's something that I mentioned a moment ago. One-on-one discipleship. This this one-on-one discipleship is a vital component. It's a vital component to the success of a godly woman or a godly man. Folks, the family of God excels when it's working together as a cohesive unit. It excels when we're working together as a cohesive unit. You need one another. That's why the the Bible doesn't say forsake not thyself, the the assembling of thyselves together as a manner of some is, uh, for the sake of the pastor. It's for the sake of all of us as the body of Christ because you need one another. I need you. You need me whether you know it or not, Krista. You need me, girl. We need one another. The family of God excels not only when we're walking cohesively as a unit in unity, but the family of God excels when the aged woman and, yes, men are taking time on purpose. And you got to be purposeful, just like you said, Krista. You've got to be purposeful to take time to invest your life, life in the lives of other people. If you see a young woman... And you already know, you don't need me or your husband or anybody else or a friend or co-worker to tell you that you're an aged woman, but you're a woman of God and you've been around the block. You've seen a thing or two. Then it's incumbent upon you. It's your obligation to teach the younger women. We look around today, what a sad thing we see. Young women and men are being taught at every turn. I look around and I see talk shows self-help books, and I won't name the ones that I know about, but the talk shows and the self-help books, the personal blogs and internet articles are available in abundance, giving out unbiblical advice like it's free candy. And when I look around, you know what? I get a lot of emails. I get a lot of texts and stuff from people saying, well, I read this. Is this true? I read this. You know, it's like a proof check or whatever. Read this. That's because stuff is running around so rampant, you can't trust it. But you could trust God's word. His word will never change. It will never, ever go away. You can trust it. You could take it to the bank. This world is sending out and giving negative messages in regard to every topic under the sun. But what does scripture say to the aged woman? What does it say that this woman should be teaching the young? Well, notice in verse 4 and 5. It says that they may teach the young women, watch this, to be sober to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, uh, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Now, notice right away the word sober. It means to make of sound mind. That is to discipline or to correct. Anybody ever have a mom that corrected you? Or did you just get away with everything? I know you didn't get away with everything, Chuck. You got to have a mom that corrects you once in a while. Look, it goes on. This word sober actually comes from the same Greek word in verse number five that starts out to be discreet. It's translated as this word discreet. And it actually points to a woman who is self-controlled, level-headed, and a woman of good judgment. By the way, 
I just put in my notes and I added it this morning. A, a godly woman doesn't fly off at the handle at every turn. Just because just you're right doesn't mean that you need to fly off at the handle at every turn and, and make sure that everybody knows you're right. Sometimes being discreet, being sober, means to bring it down a notch. Being, bring, being level-headed. Being a woman of good judgment. The aged women need to teach the younger women this and say, listen, you need, sometimes you might have to turn it down a notch because guess what? When you come out barking, 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 how many times do people usually listen to you? And then what happens is you're up here, volume level, then husband gets up here, volume level, you're up here, volume level, and your kids, and by the way, they learn very young. You don't have to wait till they're a teenager. They get really loud very quickly as well. And so a godly woman is a woman who's sober and discreet. Folks, the Bible never says that a godly woman has to be a great cook. Never says that a woman has to be a great entrepreneur. Never says that the woman has to be a great businesswoman. But the Bible does say that she should be disciplined. The Bible does say that she should be level-headed and a woman of good judgment. By the way, all of those character traits are learned. When I went to the Marine Corps, one of the first things I learned when I got to boot camp was how to spell the word discipline. D-I-S-C-I-P-L-I-N-E, sir. And you might smile a little bit. I said the word discipline in boot camp hundreds and hundreds of times. Because you see, when things were not going according to the instruction of the drill instructors, they would literally say discipline. And that meant no matter what you were doing, no matter where you were, you stopped. And you screamed out as loud as you could, D-I-S-C-I-P-L-I-N-E, sir, discipline, sir. Oh, I learned discipline in the Marine Corps, and sometimes that discipline requires us to tone it down, to become a little more level-headed. It's the godly woman who's able to live and to teach others to be sober and discreet. If you look over at a chapter of Scripture from the wise men Solomon that, quite frankly, you look around today, women love to hate this chapter, but in Proverbs chapter 31, the Bible says this, beginning in verse number 10, it says, who can find a virtuous woman? That means a woman of strength. The virtuous woman is a woman of strength. It says, who can find a woman of strength? Let's put that in there. For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Folks, the husband safely trusts in the virtuous woman, this woman of strength, because she's level-headed, because she is a woman of discipline, because she is a woman that uses and executes good judgment. He trusts her. Verse 4 also says here, I know we're going to get some interesting uh, looks here. The aged woman in verse 4, look back at verse 4. It says that the aged woman are to teach the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. <laughs> and many times, the two are the same. You might have a husband who acts more like a child, right? Many times, they're the same. But you might be saying, Pastor, do I really need to be taught to love my husband? Yes. Husbands, you need to be taught to love your wives as Christ loved and gave himself for the church. You're not left out in this. You say, man, sick of, sick of Pastor. Get on my wife today. Get on, get on the women today. No, you need to love your wife as Christ loved and gave himself for the church. Listen, remember, marriages in biblical times were arranged. They were, they were arranged 
parents of different families would arrange these marriages. And most couples were not in love, but here's what I know from old school Jewish marriages, they were committed to love. They were not in love, but they were committed to love. In our times, couples meet, they fall in love. (laughs) I don't know how you fall in love, but they fall in love, get married, but I can tell you that's never the end. It's never the end. I say everybody that has been through, (laughs) everybody who's been through premarital counseling with Pastor Greg has heard me say this phrase over and over and over. I'm going to quiz Mark right now. No, Mark's like, don't quiz me. Marriage is a ministry. It takes, Leslie, you get an A+. It takes work. It takes work. And sometimes, can I tell you, the work is hard. The work is hard. You say, do I have to be taught to love? Yes, sometimes you do. But I want you to know behind every instruction, behind every decree, behind every command of Scripture is an omnipotent God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think according to the power that works in us. He is more than able to see you through, ma'am. He's more than able to see me through. By the way, the word for loving your husband here in this verse is not the word agape or agapao, which means to be totally committed. Agapao, remember, means to be totally committed to. Uh, Agape, speaking of the selfless, sacrificial love of God that that doesn't uh, expect anything in return. That's not the word that's being used here. The word that's being used here where it says to love your husbands is actually comes from the Greek word phileo. It's actually, it's not the word phileo, but it's a derivative of the word phileo, and it speaks, are you ready for this? It speaks of affection. It says, the godly women need to teach the younger women to be affectionate towards their husbands. And every man in here that's married ought to say amen. Because that's a learned behavior. That's a learned behavior. The aged women are to teach. By the way, if the aged woman is going to teach the young woman how to be affectionate to their husbands, then, hello, aged woman, you need to be affectionate to your husbands before you can turn around and teach it to somebody else. Sorry. little fun fact for you. By the way, do we have any couples here who have been married? Let's do this. Just, I know I don't normally do this in a message. Any couples been married here 30, 40, or 50 years? Stand up. 30, 40, or 50 years? If you can stand, Ernie, I see you back there. Okay, let's do this. Uh, 35 years and higher, stay standing. 40 years and higher, stay standing. I see your hand back there. 45 years or more, stay standing. 50 years or more, stay standing. Okay, now we're getting where the rubber meets the road. All right, hold on. 51 years. 52 years, 53, hi, I got to be a 53, 55 years or more, stay standing, 56, oh my goodness, 57, 57, it's been so long we don't even know, man, it probably feels like more than that, doesn't it? <laughs> Let me just tell you something. We ought to give a round of applause for these war heroes. 
To God be the glory. By the way, you're not going to get a round of applause when you go out to Walmart because you've been married 57 years. We ought to celebrate it. And these war heroes, I got news for you. I got news for you to bring tears to your eyes and a smile to your face. But all of these war heroes have had to learn how to love one another through the years. And sometimes, and you say, how do you know? Because this is my 30th year of marriage. Here in a couple months, my wife and I will celebrate 30 years. Woo, that's a long time. And I know the people are like, you've only just begun. We've been married 57 years. You're just getting started. Here's what I know. Sometimes it's not easy to show affection to your husband. Sometimes it's not easy to show affection to your wife. But the aged women, here's the beautiful thing. See, it really is a beautiful thing. God is saying, aged women, what I need, not what Greg needs, not what Battlefield needs, this is what God's saying. He's saying, what I need, Titus, is for you to go and teach the people so that the aged women actually understand that they have a responsibility to continue to disciple the younger women so that the younger women actually know how to show some affection to their husbands because it's not natural all the time, every day. Sometimes you just feel like punching your husband. That's not right either. Right? So it's so incredibly important. Notice, notice verse 4. It says also that the aged women are to teach. Now this is going to sound crazy. But it says that the aged women are to teach the younger women to love their children. Now, here's something you probably don't know. That word there for love children is not the same word that it speaks of loving the husbands. It's not the word agape. It's not the word agapao. It's not the word of showing affection. This actually means to be fond of your kids. Have you ever had times when you really weren't fond of your kids? Nobody wants to say amen because you're trying to be nice. I got news for you. There's probably times when you probably didn't like your kids much. But God says... I need some aged women who have learned over the years to show fondness, to show that they like their kids, even when their kids are unlikable, to come alongside and to teach the younger women that when your kid messes up, when your kid disobeys, when your kid's screaming at you, when your kid's doing all the things that you don't want your child to do, that you just show them love, that you come alongside and be that example of a godly woman, and just love, love, love your child. That means just to be fond. It doesn't mean to over-adorn that child with gifts and this and that and the other. It just says, listen, teach the younger women to like their kids because it's so incredibly important. Verse 5 says, talks about teaching the young women to be chaste. And I know everybody wants to get up and leave on this one. You're probably like, please don't cover this, this one right here. But this word literally means to be clean. This word chaste means to be clean, innocent, modest, and pure. It's an old-fashioned, yes, an old-fashioned. By the way, does anybody ever, have you ever had old-fashioned lemonade? Anybody? Do you like old-fashioned lemonade? Not everything that's old-fashioned is bad. This is an old-fashioned reference to purity. Purity isn't bad. Purity is a good thing. Listen, 
This speaks of premarital purity. It speaks of postmarital fidelity. And folks, we cannot allow or rely on the school system, the TV system, or the movie system to teach our kids, our young people, to maintain their purity before or after marriage. It's just not going to happen. That's why God says, I need some aged women. I need some aged women to tell their young girls that they don't need to find their value in what some deadhead boy thinks or what some other dude thinks. I need them to understand that they're a king's kid, that they're more valuable than precious gold in me. That's something that women need to teach women. You say, well, pastor, you can teach it. Yeah, but guess what? Women ain't gonna, aren't going to take that kind of advice from me all the time. They need an aged woman that's been through the fire to come along and say, listen, I've been there, girl. I've done that. I played that record before, and it'll lead you down a road that you don't want to go. And so I want to tell you, I want to love you, I want to encourage you to be chaste, be a woman of purity, be a woman of modesty, be a woman that's clean, be a woman that sets God first. Oh, along with biblically teaching in the home and the local church, we need some women to make it a priority to teach the young women in word and deed how to be and maintain their purity. We need men to do the same with the young men. We've got a bunch of knuckleheads running around here. Young men, knuckleheads. Can I get an amen on young men, knuckleheads? The women, I hear that. Sir, ma'am, you don't want a knucklehead marrying your daughter. You want a godly young man. You don't want, you don't want some floozy marrying your son. You say, oh, oh, you're getting carried away here. No, I'm trying to encourage you about the importance of what God is saying, being a godly woman, to teach young women and young men what's right. Verse 5 also says, we got to move on. It also says, teach the practice of being keepers at the home. Now, don't shoot the messenger, but this phrase actually comes, it's two Greek words that are combined, and it literally means a stayer at home that is domestically inclined, a keeper of the home. Now, I understand it's 2021, and women work outside of the home, and listen, my wife has worked outside of the home, so I get it. The point here is that we need to teach the younger women to be attentive guardians to their home. In other words, you don't mess with my home. These are my children. This is my husband. You don't mess with my home, I am a guardian in this home. And if you want to learn a whole lot more and you want to really, you know, I don't know, go to Proverbs 31. It talks all about the woman in the home. A lot of stringent things are being said in Proverbs 31. Typically women like to avoid that chapter, but there's a lot there about a godly woman in the home. Verse 5 says that a younger woman's teaching must include the principles of being good or kind. And also it references every woman's favorite, favorite topic about being obedient to their husbands. And typically, you see it, I do marriage ceremonies a lot, officiate wedding ceremonies, and when you get to the part where the Bible talks about sum submitting uh, one to another and the women submitting uh, to their husbands, man, I, I see the faces. Like, isn't that old? That's outdated. He needs to get a new Bible. He needs. No, guess what? The Word of God stands forever. It's not changing just because we don't like the word. By the way, everybody in this room submits to someone or something. You got a job, sir? You submit to the man. 
or the woman, whoever's leading that company. You, the boss makes the rules, and you play by the rules. Everybody that works. I don't care if you're from the top on down. By the way, if you don't have a job, you're still submitting to somebody or something. Even our lives, we do the same thing. And so we have to be careful with this idea of submission. The reality is, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 5.21, it tells all believers submit ourse- submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God. Verse 22 of that same chapter, Colossians 3.8, 1 Peter 3.1, they all reference the wife's role of submission in marriage. But the overarching point concerning the godly woman's obligation is that she needs to be investing in the lives of younger women. Secondly, the godly woman's objective, look at verse number 5. We don't have to guess what the objective is. It's right there at the end of verse 5. That the word of God be not blasphemed or dishonored. That's the objective. You got the obligation to teach. The objective is that God's word be not blasphemed because here's the deal. There are enemies of the gospel all around you and they're watching. You want to know why they're watching? They're wanting to see if your faith is real. They're wanting to see if you're really going to live according to the word of God. And they're checking it and they're checking you, and any discrepancy between you and the faith that you say you have and the faith that you live, the world will be real quick to point it out. They'll be real quick to point it out. When our walk doesn't match our talk, it leads the world to think that there must be no power in the Word of God to really change lives. There must be no power to give love, joy, peace, and hope. There's no advantage to believing and trusting in Christ as the Lord and Savior. There's no reason to listen to the promises of God because they must be meaningless. And so the reality is when we don't live, when we don't live according to what we say we are, the world will be there to stomp and criticize and to charge. And guess, you know what their their criticism or charge will be? It's one word. It's called hypocrisy. They will charge you of being a hypocrite. And they say, well, I don't want to go to that church because it's just full of hypocrites. I read a quote on my phone just yesterday. It's funny how I brought it up. Looking through some pictures, and I remember a picture that I got years ago, and it was talking about the hypocrite. And says, well, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. And then the guy says, yeah, but you go to Walmart, it's full of hypocrites too. Just go to church. We know that the Word of God is, as I said last week, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12, we know that the Word of God is quick. That means it's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow and is a discerner. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Oh, listen, when the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God are guiding our thoughts, our words, and our actions people will be more than able to see Jesus living in and through us. And since our overall objection, uh, objective is to reach, teach, and minister to people, I would encourage you, I would encourage you, aged women, young women, aged men, young men, it doesn't matter what you're going through, I would encourage you to continuously cultivate a life that draws people closer to Christ rather than pushing them further away. And then the last thing I see here, go back to verse number three. I see the godly woman's opportunity. The godly woman's uh, obligation, her objective, but in verse number three, I see the godly woman's opportunity. And everybody ought to like the opportunity. It says here, the aged woman likewise 
that they may in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. The opportunity or goal of a godly woman is right there at the beginning. Notice, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. That's the goal. That's the opportunity. That when we live our lives according to the word of God, we live in holiness. Men, this is you as well. In the Old Testament, priests would go into the holy place. Maybe you've read this before. They'd go in the holy place and uh, they would light incense. And they would be around the, the, uh, the, the incense. And when they would leave the tabernacle and they would rejoin the people, that smell of the incense would remain on their garment. And, and as they would come into the presence of people, people would actually say, they would actually be able to know that these priests had been in the presence of the Lord. Ladies, here's the opportunity. When you hang out, as was even mentioned in the song or before, like Mary did at the feet of Jesus, that sweet smell, that sweet perfume of being with your Lord and with your Savior is going to cover you. It's going to, uh, I put it in my, it's going to be emanating from you. It's going to be oozing from you. And when you come and you're continually in the presence of the Lord, people are going to be able to tell that you have been with the Lord. They're going to be able to tell that you're walking in holiness. The Bible says that we're to be holy as He, our Lord, is holy. Friends, I don't know about you, but there's just something beautiful there's just something beautiful about a woman, and for that matter, a guy too. You say, man, don't say I'm beautiful. That's not a guy thing. There's something beautiful about a woman or a man when they have been in the splendor, around the splendor and the magnificence of Christ, and they're letting that lead, guide, and direct their life, and you get around that person, and you absorb the power of Christ from them. Oh, it's something very, very beautiful. And if holiness, like I said, is oozing out of a person's life, you can be sure they're not going to be caught up in all the things that this verse said not to be caught up in. Look at verse number three. It says here, it says that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers. Listen, if we're walking in holiness, we're not going to be women or men, for that matter, that are caught up in being false accusers, running around gossiping all the time. We're not going to be men or women that are slandering people. That's just not going to be a part of our arsenal of behavior. James 1.26 essentially says that if we fail to bridle our tongue, that our religion is in vain. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 says that we're to lay aside all evil speakings. Think about 1 Peter 3.10. It admonishes us to refrain our tongue from speaking evil or guile against somebody. Verse 3, if you go back, it also says, and here's, here's where I'm going to get a lot of looks, I'm sure. But it tells us that a woman of holiness will not be caught up in the practice or use of much wine, but is a teacher of good things. Now, before anyone gets super excited about saying, man, praise the Lord, I got a verse I can go out and use to support my social or moderate drinking habit. No. No, you don't. You can, you can hey, let me just tell you something. If you're going to twist Scripture, you might as well do it everywhere. What you need to understand when it talks about not giving to much wine, wine at this time, the old wine, not new wine, not fresh wine, but old or fermented wine, it was used for medicinal purposes, for medical problems. 
not giving him much wine, not, to, not, not as some type of uh, uh, use, uh, some type of thing that you can use or abuse uh, for your own personal happy hour. That's not what Scripture is talking about. It's talking about that a godly woman is going to just be able to walk in that holiness, not be given to much wine, not become abusive with this idea. And at the end of the day, I put in my notes that the church and the home are under such attack that's why it's so incredibly important that we all take time not only to read the manual, but to heed the manual and to apply the manual into our lives. It's one thing to read it and be like, oh, great. Oh, great. The godly woman, thank you for that. Happy Mother's Day and close the book and then put it up on a shelf for seven days and then come back next week. That's one thing. But it's another thing to look at it and say, whoa. What's God trying to say to me today? What's God want from me today? I mean, this message is primarily to, to, about godly women, but sir, look at verse 2. It talks about the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. If you go down to verse number 6, it says, The young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech. It cannot be condemned, and it goes on and on. Men, there's enough here for you as well. Today I can honestly say that I'm thankful for the godly women in my life. My birth mother was a godly woman godly woman and my life mother is a godly woman she's a godly woman she gets up does her daily devotions spends time with the Lord my dad and her do it together what a blessing that is my mother-in-law sitting right down here in this front row is a godly woman godly woman and my children's mother is a godly woman I've been impacted by each of their lives. Ladies, today is your day. It's your day. And I would encourage you, I, I think that, man, you say, well, what's the big deal? I, I believe you have an opportunity. You could make this the greatest day of your life. Whether, whether you've given birth to a child or not, it makes no difference. You have the opportunity to mother people all around you. You can mother your husband. You can mother other children. You can mother the young women in this church. There's opportunity all around. It abounds. And I believe that this would be the greatest day of your life if you would just recommit yourself to the obligation, to the objective, and to the opportunity of being a godly woman, no matter what category you fit in, aged or young. And men... This message reminds me that we too have an obligation and an objective and an opportunity as men of God. That we stand up for what's right and we put down that which is wrong. But if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you've never called out upon the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of sin and to begin a relationship with Christ, can I tell you this? That's the first step to becoming a godly woman. That's the first step to becoming a godly man. Without having that relationship, that intimate relationship with Jesus, you can try and go through all the methods and all the teaching you want, but until you have that sweet re relationship, you'll never ever be able to be the godly woman 
or the godly man that our Lord literally wants you to be. And so I encourage you, if you've never trusted Christ, that you'll do that today as well. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to each and every woman here, to each and every woman, because truly, each of you are mothers in your own right. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had in your word and certainly the opportunity to look at the godly woman's obligation, her objective, and the opportunity, God, to be reminded that you have those same three ideals for men. God, that we might rise up, that we might be uh, the church that goes out in the highways and byways and takes this opportunity of one-on-one discipleship with one another, that the younger women would listen to the aged women, the aged women would be uh, pushed out of their comfort zone, so to speak, that they would be bold enough to develop relationships with younger women, that they might be able to speak into their lives. God, that men would do the same thing. God, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified by the decisions that we make right now and the decisions that we make on a daily basis to buy up the opportunity to teach. Teach in a way that your word is not blasphemed. God, that we might teach in a way and live in a way that everyone would see that we're walking in holiness. And we know that holiness only comes from you. And so, Lord, as we surround ourselves to you, may that sweet fragrance of holiness be thrust upon each of us. God, may we be your beacons of light and salt as we go from this place. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you for your word. God, I pray that you'll be with us as we go our separate ways today, as we celebrate and congratulate moms of all ages. God, may we be reminded of the opportunity, the objective, and the obligation that we all have today. We'll be careful to give you the praise for it. In Jesus' precious name and for his sake we pray, amen and amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.